0: you will please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6 under the title and this is part 8 of that title prepare to meet your enemy of course the enemy of our souls is the evil one Satan himself his diabolical schemes along with his own devils the demons who follow him are always about destroying our faith if they could, or at least rendering us um, unstable and trying to see our faith crumble. We find Paul's words here in Ephesians 6, an antidote to those devices of Satan. He says, beginning in verse 10, Finally, And supplication. Last time when we dug into aspects of the armor of God, we talked about the first three. And I think it bears repeating that Paul says here in verse 14 that we are to stand. And how are we to stand? By initially, he says, Having fastened on the belt of truth. You remember what we said the belt of truth was? In Roman soldiering, that belt of truth was the device that you prepared for a vigorous battle by taking a kind of leather apron and putting it on underneath that armor, which protected particularly the thighs. It has the connotation of preparing yourself for some mortal combat. I think the New American Standard says uh, having your your mind girded up, the loins of your mind, and he says here the belt of truth, which includes, of course, the truth of the gospel, and how that liberating truth of the gospel, the truth of salvation, has to be defended. It has to be guarded at all costs. We don't want to get so caught up with the illustration, that is, the, the physical armament that someone might take into a Roman battle. Remember, he says it's the belt of truth, and Paul wants to emphasize that truth. And whether he's talking, as I said last time, about uh, a Roman soldier and uh, the armament that he takes into battle or whether he's just talking about our need to sort of be a copycat of the divine warrior from Isaiah's prophecy. Uh, Both are probably true. But what he says is, I want you to be girded with truth. I want you to know the truth, especially the truth of the gospel. One of the great stalwarts of the faith, Jerry Bridges, died just some weeks ago. And he died at a ripe old age, and he was a valiant warrior for the truth. If you've ever read uh, any books by Jerry Bridges, you can tell uh, through the words that he pens how much he loved the Lord and how much he was endeavoring to teach us how to live very practically the Christian life. And one of the things that Jerry Bridges borrowed from uh, saints of old was the concept of preaching the gospel to yourself every day. And it's really, really a good exercise for Christians to be involved with. It has the connotation that you and I need to continually rehearse the gospel to ourselves. Not only what we've received in terms of gospel truth, the salvation of our souls, but I think practically, especially for what Paul is saying here in Ephesians chapter 6, is the idea of preaching the gospel to yourself every day, not only for the sake of your own soul, but also for the sake of being able to defend that well-worded, well-understood, well-rehearsed gospel for those to whom you and I need to speak. I know that there are some Christians who become very intimidated by talking to others Uh, regarding the gospel. Well, what if I don't say the right thing? Uh, What if I sort of unintentionally speak some kind of heretical statement? Well, one of the ways that you can work toward guarding against such a thing is rehearsing the gospel of your salvation daily. How was it that I was saved? What were the components in my salvation? What does the concept repentance mean in the Bible? What does it mean to have faith? What was it that Jesus did on that cross for sinners like you and like me? Rehearsing those things, taking passages of Scripture and committing them to memory. Uh, One of my good friends who's been pastoring uh, down in the Riverside area, Milton Vincent, uh, wrote a wonderful little book uh, called The Gospel Primer. And in that book, uh, he not only talks about how the gospel was a liberating force in his life, but how preaching the gospel to himself every day has been a spiritual exercise compared to nothing else that he's ever experienced. He even took in this gospel primer book, and I encourage you to get a copy of that book and to read it through. In the back of this book, which I think is worth the price of the book itself, he actually commits many, many gospel truths from passages of scripture uh, to a poetic rendering that he himself has written, and it is marvelous. I would encourage you to read the gospel primer by Milton Vincent because in especially that poetic section, uh, he has a prose section at the beginning uh, which is marvelous in and of itself, but that poetic section is, is so wonderfully done, so rhythmic uh, in its gospel presentation that it it leaves one spellbound. I remember uh, on an occasion when we were in our ministry in Little Rock where Milton and his family came to visit. You remember that? And we had the opportunity to host them for a weekend. And I was so grateful to to the Lord for, for his friendship and fellowship in the gospel that I took on that occasion through the preaching to actually read the entire poem that he had penned, not only as an encouragement for him, but for the encouragement of our congregation and it it quite literally left left us spellbound uh, within the congregation because it was it's so well done and in that particular book which I commend to you it also has a footnote to virtually every sentence in the book to a passage of scripture that gives buttress to the truth of the gospel so i commend Uh, resources like that from Jerry Bridges and Milton Vincent and others, specifically because of that concept of preaching the gospel to yourself every day. And I think that's probably what Paul is zeroing in on here when he talks about fastening onto your life, your mind, your thinking, the belt of truth. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing that you and I can do to be able to stand against the devil's lies. What about that second piece of armor that Paul talks about here? Notice what he says in the latter part of verse 14 having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Do you remember from Isaiah chapter 11 what Isaiah speaks about when he talks about both truth and righteousness? and i think this might very well have been where paul gained his idea of both regarding this armor because of the the divine warrior and his messiah in isaiah chapter 11 verse 4 it says but with righteousness he shall he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked and then this verse this may very well be where the apostle paul took his idea of this kind of armor both in truth and righteousness isaiah 11:5 righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. That's the righteousness and truth that he's speaking of there. This is is the spiritual battle we're under. This is the, the idea of what you and I are doing in mortal combat with the enemy. We've got to be able to put on the breastplate of righteousness. He's going for, the devil is, our heart. He's trying to make us ineffective for the Christian life, and even worse, render us as unfaithful to the Lord by taking actions and even in our thinking, first and foremost, to render us insufficient for the battle. And we got to take on the breastplate of righteousness, right, right living, of course, but being in a right relationship with God in the first place, not only knowing uh, the gospel, but being able to be settled in that gospel to be able to live in such a way that you and i being righteous in christ can begin as the pattern of our lives to pursue righteousness righteous deeds righteous actions so much so that you and i would come to the place where even in a sense even our involuntary actions are toward righteousness so that when we're hit with something in a moment in a moment of time Uh, some kind of uh, satanic attack that you and I weren't looking for that came and hit us right around the corner that our uh, involuntary reflex action is toward righteousness. To say no to sin. To say no to that temptation. Because it's our reflex action to do good. To do right. Because our breastplate is firmly on our lives. That's the second piece of armor that he speaks to uh, to us here. And then there's a third. And that's where we left off last time. He says in verse 15, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, I told you that that was a mouthful. He says, shoe your feet with the readiness given by the gospel of peace in other words we should not only rehearse the gospel in and of ourselves and to ourselves every day of our lives but we also need to be on the proactive march like a soldier to speak to others about that gospel and not just the facts of the gospel itself but particularly he says the gospel of peace how someone can experience peace with God I mean if there's anything about a battle whether it's spiritual or quite literal it's the idea that there is hostility between warring parties right that's the whole point of talking about a battle that's the whole point of what Paul is talking about here when he says we're in a warfare it it it's automatic it's axiomatic that you and I are in a war I mean, is that what occupies us? For instance, we serve the Lord on the Lord's Day. We worship together. We pursue fellowship with one another. We pray with one another. We talk to one another about how are you doing spiritually? How are things going? How are you responding? And and it's a really wonderful spiritual exercise. And I don't know about you, but when I am, say, for instance, sick and not able to be here, which, praise the Lord, is is, is not a lot, when I'm not here, I miss it terribly. And part of it is because I gain strength by your encouragement. And I trust that you gain strength by my encouragement toward you. And when I miss those times, uh, it's it's a kind of absence that really leaves one uh, spiritually wanting. Think about this. Monday morning. Monday morning, the kind of exhilaration that you and I experience on a Sunday, whether it's Sunday morning or Sunday evening, and the fellowship that we enjoy, and the invigoration that it gives us, every single one of us, however, have to get up on Monday morning and do that which we have been called to do. Whether it's work-related, school-related, whether it's mothering, whether it's fathering, whatever it is, just life. Life happens. And on Monday morning, that's the time that you and I, even the spiritual high that we, have may, that we may have been on with regard to Sunday ministry and fellowship and love and care, Monday morning is coming, I assure you. And when it comes, I think the Apostle Paul gives us the idea of one way to combat the enemy, and that's this, shoe your feet with the readiness to proclaim the gospel of peace. Shoe your feet with the gospel you remember in isaiah's prophecy again it says how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim or publish the what the gospel the good news we ought to be ready it says prepared i love that concept be prepared be ready to speak a word of the gospel and we never do it enough i don't do it enough None of us would say about ourselves that we take every witnessing opportunity that could possibly come our way. No one does do that. And yet Paul says one of the ways to inflict pain upon the enemy in the proactive sense is to take the initiative to bring gospel readiness to not only your feet, but to your lips, to be able to communicate the gospel with those who are desperately in need of hearing that word of salvation. This is a proactive piece of the armor. You know, they talk about the idea of the one offensive weapon being the, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I'm not sure I agree with that. This is an offensive weapon. shoeing your feet with the gospel of peace. That is Walking. Moving forward, step by step, and talking to people because your heart has been readied. It's been prepared to talk about the gospel of peace. Do you remember uh, what we talked about when we went over to Ephesians uh, chapter 2 and we talked about this concept of having peace with God, the absence of hostility? Verse 13 of Ephesians 2, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our Peace, who made us both one, that is Jews and Gentiles, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And how does he do that? The latter part of verse 15, by making peace. He, he made peace between those warring parties, Jews who didn't want anything to do with Gentiles and Gentiles who didn't want to have anything to do with Jews. But he made us, through his reconciling, One body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. That's the gospel of peace. It's the the cross of peace. It brings peace to our lives. Look over at the book of James in James chapter 4. And this gives us, I think, a good word in this regard about peace, albeit from a negative vantage point. Look at James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? James 4, 1. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And then notice this. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. There is an enemy relationship that goes on between those who don't know Jesus Christ, who aren't following God, which means that God is at war with the unbeliever. He's at war with the unbeliever. And when he is at war with the unbeliever, there is great hostility. And what the gospel does is that it shows people that you have a way out from this hostility, this war with God. And when you receive the gospel of peace, you can bring yourself to the place by God's good grace that you are not only not at war with God anymore, but God is actually your friend. And what's far more important is that God counts you His friend. What a a thought that you and I, in our unsaved condition had nothing but hostility and a war between ourselves and God. And yet Jesus Christ dying on that cross brings you and me to a place of peace, the absence of hostility. And that's what was happening with the Jews and the Gentiles. The the Jews in Ephesus and the Gentiles in Ephesus had the absence of hostility because Christ and his cross brought them to a place of peace. Can you imagine the love in the fellowship of the church at Ephesus? Christ was their peace. He was their Lord. And they were looking at each other and saying, despite our ethnic backgrounds and our prior hostility, the peace of the gospel has brought us to a place of sweet and loving fellowship. That's the marvelous gospel of peace. And notice what Paul goes on to say here. Here's another piece of the armor. This is the fourth one. Stand firm, he says, in all circumstances. No no matter what's happening, no matter when, and no matter what's going on, in all circumstances, take up the what? The shield of faith. The shield of faith. We might say it this way, the shield which is of faith. What does he mean? Well, it's interesting. There was, again in that Roman time, if he is borrowing from that kind of, of armament of the Roman soldier, a big uh, rectangular apparatus that might have been as large as four feet by two and a half feet which was this shield that would be covered with animal skins and reinforced with metal. And then what they would do is they would soak that shield in water and then they would paint or dip that shield with a kind of black pitch. And when they would soak that shield with that black pitch, it would quench the flaming darts of the evil one. When those darts would come your way and you were able to put that four feet by two and a half foot shield in front of you and so when those darts came and they were on fire and they would hit that black pitch and embed themselves in that shield it would render the shield as that which is taking the object of the fury of your inner enemy instead of your own body. Isn't that amazing? And no wonder the Apostle Paul says I'm going to use as the illustration this shield so that I can communicate about the topic of faith. Faith. The ability, the God-given, gracious ability of our Lord to say to us these two words, trust me, trust me. Or maybe we should put it in the question format. Do you trust me? Are you trusting me? Put up your shield. It's four feet by two and a half feet. It's large. It's a way for you to say when those darts, those fiery darts of doubt come your way, trust me, trust who I am, trust my promises. Do you believe that I am able, through your faith, to extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one? Do you believe that? I've met many, many people, especially in the counseling room, who are very, very weak spiritually. And most often, I suppose, as I talk to them, I find that one of the aspects of that weakness, if not the greatest aspect of that weakness, is because they have come to a place where they don't really believe God and His promises. Practically speaking, they have great difficulty trusting God. They have great difficulty believing that God has their best interests in mind. They have great difficulty great hardship with the concept will god bring me through this trial now we know what god's word says we know that god says and i've quoted it even in this series first corinthians 10 13 no testing no temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man and god is what Faithful. faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with that temptation, he will provide a way of escape so that you and I may be able to what? Very. To endure it. Do we believe that truth from the word of God? Do we believe that Hebrews 11, 1 says, now faith is the assurance of things, what? Hoped Hope for and the conviction of things not seen now I know what the world does the world says if you're telling me to have a conviction about something I can't see you got another thing coming because the world would say I don't have a conviction in anything unless I can see it unless I can touch it unless I can taste it unless I can hear it I, I have my five senses that gives me all that I can do and say with regard to having any kind of conviction about any kind of thing. And yet the Bible tells us in Hebrews 11.1 1, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. There is a hope in our faith that God will take care of us, that God will not allow us to be tested beyond what we're able that God will, will give us this shield with which we can extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one. I want this shield. What kind of shield? It's faith. I want to have the conviction of things that I can't see. I can't see God, but I can see what God is doing in my life, which gives me the opportunity to have greater levels of trust that he can and will take care of me in that moment of intense testing. And the testing will come. Because the testing, according to James 1, produces what? Endurance. And we should let endurance have its perfect result so that you and I may be perfect and complete, (laughs) lacking in nothing. Faith is incredibly important especially as it relates to the doubts of the soul God will take my cause up God will come through for me God will do that which he sees and knows is right and I must trust him with the results you know how often the Bible speaks about God through our faith being our shield look in your bibles at psalm 5 psalm 5 just just even the example of the psalms a few of them that give us this this is what we must believe this is the conviction of things not seen i don't see god i don't see the person of god no one can see god he doesn't have a form or a shape But we know that God is there if we have faith in Him and if we trust Him regularly with our lives. And what does God say in His Word about our trust in Him? Here's what He says, Psalm 5, verse 12. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a what? A shield. You cover him with favor. You know what another translation of the word favor is in the Old Testament? Grace. You cover him with grace as a shield. The conviction of things not seen. God, I know that you're there. I know that you haven't left me. I know that I must trust you by faith and your word tells me, this is the promise of your word, that you cover me with grace as a shield. And how many times would you and I say in the crucible of the intense trials of our lives, I need you as my shield. And by the way, these psalms, they're not just words on a page, they're songs to sing. I need to sing God's praise, especially as it relates to his promise that he will surround me as a shield, the very shield of grace that I desperately need. The righteous one will be blessed because you cover him with favor as a shield. Look at chapter 18 of the Psalms. Verse 2. I love these these metaphors for... God's work in our lives. Look at verse 1, Psalm 18:1. I love you, O Lord, my strength. Verse 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I would venture to assume that most of you have read Psalm 18 and you read those words off the page and you say, I need that today, Lord. I need that today. I know you are my rock. I know you're my fortress. I know you're my deliverer. I take refuge in you. I need you as my shield. You know what you're doing when you express something like I've just said? You're expressing your faith. This, this, is my, this is my assurance of the things for which I hope. I hope you're my shield. I hope you're my rock. I hope you're my fortress. I hope you're my stronghold. And it's the conviction of things not seen. It's the conviction that God does exist. Remember in Hebrews 11:6? It says that when you are this faithful person, you are putting your faith in God. You do have that assurance of the things hoped for. You do have this conviction of the things not seen. And verse six says, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. That's what the psalmist is doing in Psalm 18. He's seeking the Lord and he's undoubtedly seeking the Lord. This Psalm of David, notice the superscript. It's a the Psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And you know, I even take comfort in that because nobody like vexing Saul is pursuing me at the present time. Praise God. I have it much better than David. I mean, he was literally running for his life. No wonder he was crying out to the Lord. No wonder he was saying to the Lord, You're my strength, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Lord, I want to be assured with the conviction of things not seen that you will deliver me from the hand of Saul. I need you today. And that's why that superscription, which I believe also falls under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this superscription is that he was delivered, rescued from the hand of all his enemies, including Saul. Isn't that wonderful? Look at Psalm 28, verse 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart, what? Trusts. That's a synonym for faith, isn't it? Faith is trust. Trust is faith. In Him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts. And with my song I give thanks to Him. Now I know there are at times, especially when someone's under a cloud, they have those raining drops of doubt in their soul and they say, you know what? I've read this. I know that that's what you say, but I don't have enough confidence and trust that this is what God is doing in my life. And you know, that's an honest response on the part of some genuine believers. I want to believe this. That was the heart of the man in the gospel accounts who said to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. But do we... Do we believe it? The Lord is my strength, my shield. In him, my heart trusts and I am helped. I want to trust God. Well, if you have those ringing doubts in your mind, go to the Lord and say, Lord, I have ringing doubts in my mind. You can actually go to God with a lack of faith and ask him to increase your faith when your faith is lacking. When you don't have faith the faith that you know you ought to have, go to God and say, I know I don't have the faith that I need to trust you. So please help me by increasing my faith, increasing my trust. I want to trust you. Look at what the psalmist says in Psalm 33, verse 20. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in Him because we trust. There's another synonym. We trust in His holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. I want to trust you, God. I I want to express the kind of faith that is a robust faith, that is a growing faith. Faith is like a muscle. It has to be exercised. It has to be utilized. And when that faith grows, I can look back on those times when I failed to trust God and I can indict myself by the conviction of sin in my life. I wasn't trusting God then. I wasn't hoping in Him. I wasn't living out the idea that I believe God is. But now I see my faith being exercised, that faith muscle, and I'm beginning to trust God. That's what it means to have that shield of faith in front of you that when those fiery darts come and they are flaming and they are evil and when they stick in that shield, that pitch, the pitch of trust allows that flame to flicker until it goes out. And we're trusting God at that point. The shield of faith. And these Ephesians, Paul had already talked to them in spades about faith look back at Ephesians chapter 1 verse 1 says to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus faithful in Christ Jesus they were putting their faith their trust squarely in Christ Jesus these were professing believers in Christ look at verse 15 for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I don't cease to pray for you, to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers. Look at verse 19. What is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who do what? Believe. Believe, Believe in God. Trust Him. it's like a shield against the fiery darts of the evil one to extinguish those fiery darts look at chapter 2 verse 8 this is the very thing that that brings us on the human level our salvation for by grace you have been saved through faith which itself is a gift of God I have faith look at chapter 3 Verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access through Christ with confidence through our faith in Him. You know, I'm convinced we don't talk about faith as much as we ought. And that's that's, that's a, a kind of subject to our shame that we don't talk about as much as we should as Christians. I mean, when's the last time you heard a series on faith? When's the last time you heard a message extolling the virtues of faith in God? Look at verse 16 of chapter 3 in Ephesians. That according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith you'll have ever-increasing levels of confidence. It's kind of like a when we went through that, uh, faith is residing in you and it's deepening you so that Christ can come to a settled place in your heart. You're being strengthened. You're being encouraged with power through the Holy Spirit in your inner being, that's the immaterial part of you, so that Christ may continue to to build deep roots into your life through faith. Now you say, well, that's that's easy when times are good, when there are times of blessing. It's most difficult when there are challenges, when I see dark clouds on the horizon. Sure, sure it's more difficult. But when your faith is strengthened and deepened in the one who died for you, Even the dark clouds of doubt can dissipate over time because you're believing God for the present and for the future. Look at chapter 6, verse 23. This This is the very end of this epistle for which you might be saying, and when shall we get there? Ephesians 6, 23. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith. Love with faith. You can't even love unless it's being brought to you with faith. Trusting God. And Paul says that when you have a robust faith, you will be able to extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one. How many of those flaming darts? It says all there. It's one of those 100% words. You'll be able to extinguish all all the flaming darts of the evil one, and you know that's exactly what the divine warrior does, our God that's his battle plan. he has the armament at his at, at his disposal, and what he does is he takes the boldness of his knowledge, his omniscience, and he also does our fighting with us and at times for us in. Psalm 7, verse 13. You don't have to turn there, but it says this. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. And I know, I I fully acknowledge that talking about robust faith, talking about trusting God asking him to increase our faith that's a wonderful thing and it's a virtue but at times when we see even our own faith and our own resources peter out then we can look at the divine warrior and we see that he has prepared for the ungodly his deadly weapons making his own arrows fiery shafts at the time when our strength dissipates to the point where we think there is no point of return even the divine warrior god himself takes up our cause and fights against satan so that he helps us extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one why because our faith is not in our ability our faith is not in our resources our faith is in a person the person of god himself through christ and god takes up our cause when we are unable to do it he fights satan on his terms and it is on our behalf what an encouragement what an encouragement god my resources have seemingly been long gone And he says, I shall take up your cause. You're one of mine. It's almost as though when Satan comes and he tries to seduce us, to solicit us to do evil, God says, you know what you're doing, Satan? You're sticking your finger in my eyeball. And I don't like that. I'll take up this child's cause on his behalf. I'll extinguish those fiery darts. And he does so through the shield which is of faith what an encouragement how about the next piece of armor the helmet of salvation Do you see it there in the first part of verse 17 the helmet of salvation take the helmet of salvation that my friends is a command it's an imperatival command Paul says, I am commanding you under the authority of Jesus Christ to take the helmet of salvation. And why would he liken salvation to a helmet? Because it helps cover your what? Your head, your brain. The brain, the, the thinking part of you, the rational part of you. The part that makes you different than the animal kingdom and the plant kingdom. The part that gives you that rationality, the, the ability to think, the ability to Uh, to be saved because you're clearly understanding the truth of this gospel of peace. And so you take this salvation, which your mind comprehends, and you are saved. You're delivered from your sins. And so you take this helmet of salvation with which you can be protected. Paul borrows that, I think, from Isaiah 59, 17, where it says, a helmet of salvation on his head i think he borrows it right from isaiah's prophecy and i believe that paul even speaks of it to the thessalonians look in your bibles at first thessalonians chapter five he almost says virtually the same thing first thessalonians chapter five these are great words verse eight First Thess 5.8 But since we belong to the day, we're not of the nighttime people. The nighttime people, according to verse 7, they sleep, they sleep at night. Those who get drunk, they get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the what? Hope. The hope of salvation. You got your helmet on. In other words your your mind is right with god you've been delivered from your sins you know it you have a rationality about that god has visited you in salvation we've received christ this is this is what god has done didn't he, didn't he tell the Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 4? But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. How did he make us alive? He regenerated our minds He brought the very helmet of salvation through enlivening us, by by creating in us through his regenerating power, the power of the Holy Spirit, the ability for us to perceive the gospel. And when we perceived that gospel, we repented of our sins, we turned from our sins, and we placed our confidence, our trust alone in Christ. And when we did that, it was as though the divine warrior says, I want to prepare you for battle, and so I'm going to place on your head the helmet of salvation. You're going to be protected. You're going to be protected against the evil one. This is our helmet. It protects our head from the relentless attacks of the enemy and for which I think it ties so beautifully not only into the belt of truth but into the sword of the spirit I'm able with my mind to comprehend truth truth which means beloved I need to know the truth I need to immerse myself in the book of truth and I need to take out offensively that sword of the spirit and i need to be able to do battle with the enemy via the truth and we're going to talk about that in a moment i have the helmet of salvation i hear often christians i think ill-informed and immature but they talk about the idea of having salvation as though that's all they need in the sense of the initial part of their salvation experience well i'm saved i don't really need to do anything else they may not say outwardly i don't think i need to avail myself of the scripture i don't think i need to memorize scripture meditate on scripture but in the actuality of the living of their christian life and their profession that's exactly the way they sometimes live they don't avail themselves of the scripture and they're being attacked from pillar to post and and when they are attacked and when they are not functioning well spiritually You have to ask them the question, why are you downcast? Why are you struggling? Why are you seemingly falling and failing in your Christian life? And here's the obvious answer because even though you might have your helmet of salvation on, you're not availing yourself with the rationality of your mind to gird the loins of your mind for action through the belt of truth and through the sword of the Spirit. It's not enough just to say, I'm saved, I'm on my way to heaven. You have to take God's word for it. And you have to avail yourself of the truth of Scripture. Tie it around to the belt of your life. Protect your thighs. Take the sword of the Spirit and and do mortal combat so that you can have not only the helmet of salvation, but the full array of this armament. That's what he's saying. And that brings us to the sixth and final piece of the armor. Stand firm, he says, in the latter part of verse 17, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. That's the sixth piece of the armor which he speaks of here. The sword. What's the sword? It's the Greek word makaira. Makaira. They had long swords, some of these Roman soldiers. And at times, they were able to use that sword as sort of like a battle axe, right? And you had to handle it at times with both hands. But this is not the word that Paul is using here. You know, the, Paul, uh, the word Paul is using here is machaira. It, it means a, a small sword, maybe even we could say like a dagger. And why does he liken the sword here of the Spirit to a dagger? Because we're talking about mortal hand-to-hand combat. We're talking about that enemy being in your face. He's in your kitchen. He's, He's wanting to get up close so as to bring his mortal wound to your life. He's not out somewhere in the great beyond. He's right in your life. He's trying to tempt you to think thoughts that you otherwise should not think. He's trying to get you to do otherwise the things that you should not do. And he wants to engage your mind so that you are incapable of responding with spiritual maturity and discernment. And so Paul says, take up the sword of the Spirit, this dagger, because you're going to be doing mortal hand-to-hand combat with the enemy. I want to talk about preparing To meet your enemy, he's right in front of you. And I dare say sometimes maybe he's right in front of us when we're looking in the mirror. Because sometimes we're our own worst enemy even when Satan isn't anywhere around. Right? We call that doing battle with indwelling sin. Yes, we have the battle with Satan. Yes, he's prominently placed here in our text. But we also have to continue to remind ourselves that sometimes the preparing, the best preparation to meet the enemy is sometimes when we meet the enemy, we realize it's ourselves. The original sin of Adam plunging us as human beings into sin and even at times when we have received that very helmet of salvation, sometimes even when there's no Satan or demons around at all, We have to do battle with ourselves. Sometimes, maybe this sword has to be used to excise our own sin from our lives. The kind of spiritual surgery with the machaira that we need to be involved in so that we're able to deal with this mortal enemy. Notice, that it also says here the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Rema theu, word of God. God's holy word is our sword with which to fight the enemy. Whether it's ourselves, whether it's Satan, whether it's demons, whether it's the world, whoever's coming at us. And again, I think Isaiah is our background to what Paul was using. Listen to Isaiah 40, verse 8. You know this well, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Did you know that in the LXX, the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, the word that is used there when it says the word of our God stands forever, that's the word, Greek word rhema. That's the very word that Paul's using here in Ephesians 6. The rhema, the word of God. Isaiah eleven four. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. I read it to you before. And he shall strike the earth with the rod, which in the Septuagint is lagos. That's the other word for word. You say, well, that's not the word that Paul uses here. He uses rhema. That's right. But did you know that rhema and lagos can be used interchangeably in the scripture? this rod is the lagos of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked that word for breath in the Septuagint pneuma which means spirit and ruach which means breath the sword of the spirit the pneuma the Holy Spirit it's it's His sword, it's His breath that works against our enemies on our behalf and when we take up that sword of the Spirit and we're doing that mortal combat, it's the breath of His mouth through the Word of God. It's this book. It's why we study it the way we do. It's, it's why we avail ourselves of it. And it's exactly what our Lord Jesus did. As we close, look at Matthew chapter 4. This is what the Lord Jesus did. This is how he dealt with the enemy. This is what was his battle plan. Look at Matthew chapter 4. Remember the temptation narrative? Matthew 4, one. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And don't miss that. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. God wanted to show the devil a thing or two. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, by scripture, with scripture, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from or out of the mouth of God. He's using scripture against the enemy. If Jesus in his earthly ministry and his humanity is doing this, should we do no less? Should we do no less? How is it that we're going up against the machine gun attack of Satan without our own weaponry the strongest weapon that we have the word of God and we're going up against the machine gun of Satan with a pea shooter our own thoughts our own ideas we need to we need to do battle against the heavy artillery of Satan with the greater artillery, artillery. the greater weaponry of God's word God's holy word Luke chapter 4 says at the end of this temptation narrative. And this is, this is such an encouragement. Luke 4.13, and when the devil had ended every temptation, because those three were probably only representative of the number of times that Satan tempted him. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time every temptation and Jesus fought off every one of them. That's why he says in the Sermon on the Mount, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them for truly I say to you unless heaven and earth pass away not an iota not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Not One comma, not one apostrophe, not one dot, not one end of a letter and a period is going to fall away until every one of these things are accomplished. That's how precious the Word of God is. And that's how much you and I ought to avail ourselves of Scripture. It's the sword of the Spirit. It's the Word of God. That's that's the weaponry that we have. We have it at our disposal. You know that probably in our time, more than at any other time in human history, we have more resources than possibly all the Christians of all the ages combined. Through computer resources, through study and research, through every available means. There are some of you who are reading with me the Word of God as we study together on your iPad, on your phone. It's digitally available at all points and at all places. We have the sword of the Spirit at our disposal. Let's use it. And let's take all of this weaponry and let's fight against the one who will never stop fighting against us. And we shall be the victor. Amen and amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our time tonight. Thank you for this glorious day. I can't believe that you've given us without fear of retribution from our government. The kind of day where we have freely worshipped you. That day may be fast fleeting. There may be times when we are told you cannot assemble together. There are even other countries of the world under such watch care by the authorities that Christians are not able to do what we've enjoyed today. The fiery darts of the enemy are so real to them because they see them represented with a policeman's uniform. They find ways to endeavor to stamp out the Christianity that is growing in those countries. And little do they know it's because of that persecution that God is doing His great work. And for every time there is someone who is trying to stamp out Christianity, it simply grows because the Christians who are there are taking up their armor. They're utilizing these various elements of that armor, and they are growing and flourishing. We seem to be so fat and sassy. We have so many resources at our disposal. And yet at times, because of the embarrassment of riches, we don't avail ourselves of that which those people in other countries would die for. All of the resources for which the Word of God is so readily available. Lord, allow us, even through the embarrassment of our riches, to be so grateful for what we have the books, the materials, the resources at our fingertips that allow us to take hold of the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, to do the kind of battle that will take us to the very throne room of Your grace. May it be so. Thank You for our faith. And thank You for the helmet of our salvation. And may we, with these resources, grow in our spiritual condition, discerning the fiery darts and extinguishing every one of them. May it be so for your glory and honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.